All right, welcome back to Noob School. Today I've got a uh, longtime friend, Greenville friend, Andy Kurtz. Andy uh, owns a company in town called Copus, K-O-P-I-S. Yep. And um, Copus is a strong company. They do mostly uh, outsourced custom programming for businesses, mostly around the southeast? Yeah, mostly. Mostly. And besides the contract programming, you also tell, tell us about the other divisions you have. So we have a group that does uh, work around the Microsoft Dynamics Power Platform, so okay. Power BI, big data visualization, and then the low-code, no-code solutions they okay. have, and Power Apps and Power Automate. Okay. Um, we have a group that also does Microsoft Dynamics ERP solutions okay. for the SMB space. So okay. Microsoft had multiple products, but they've uh, since, I guess, two or three years ago, they, they've gone to a one centralized cloud-based Okay. Platform for the SMB side called Business Central. Okay, and we have a team that that implements uh, Dynamics Business Central. Okay, for organizations, and we do that uh, all around the country. All the country. So, it's if you have Microsoft Dynamics, or if you need custom development, custom applications, or what else? What's the third one? Uh, if you need dashboarding and dashboarding. data visualization okay. uh, with Dynamics Power BI. Got it. And okay. the one thing I will say on the Dynamics ERP side is we find it to be uh, a platform that's great for fast-growing companies right. who, have, who are probably on a product like Quicken, yeah. um, which was great when they started the business, yeah. and they're bumping their head on that ceiling now yeah. of Quicken. Yeah. The, the, uh, I say Quicken, QuickBooks. Yeah. Um, for folks who have outgrown QuickBooks, they, they, they've outgrown it, and we have the ability to give them a lateral shift so they have all the functionality they had, but they've created headroom to try to grow their organization. And so we've worked real hard to, to, okay. to put together a way to do that cost-effectively for organizations. Good, good. Okay. And how long have you had the business? I started uh, Copus in 1999. So wow. we are coming up on 24 years. Wow. Congratulations. I say wow, too. Yeah. Sometimes it's a good wow. <laughs> well, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna get into how you started it and also the kind of the, the important steps along the way to get to this point because you've got a, a great business now. And uh, oddly enough, you know, here we are talking about technology. You majored in accounting. Yep. I majored in political science. I mean, but <laughs> yeah. you kind of learn stuff did, along the way. How in the world did we get in technology? I don't know. I don't know either. I suppose it's just so darn effective and popular that you kind of – Kind of have to get into it. You do, and for me, um, I was exposed to it in high school, uh -huh. and um, and and honestly, I fell in love with the technology side. I actually sometimes ask myself, why did I go into accounting? <laughs> so, there's yeah. a story there. Yeah. Well, so and and also, real quick, your company now. How many how many salespeople do you have? Oh wow, that's a great question because I should just know that right off the top of my head. Um, I believe we have six. Six. Okay. Uh, um, Six salespeople and one person who is leading that team. Gotcha. Gotcha. Great. Okay. All right. So you have a, a, a significant company here in Greenville. But let's back up to the beginning and figure out how you ended up here and also get some, you know, flavor along the way for what you learned about selling, you know, because you had to be a salesperson when you started. Oh, yeah. And also hiring and interviewing and some of the stuff that our Noob School uh, folks would, would, would want to hear about. So I know you started out, I think, in Buffalo. Buffalo, New York. Buffalo. Yep. Go Bills. <laughs> Go Bills. All right. And DeMar. And, and you, is number it tomorrow? No, DeMar. Number De three. Oh, number three. Okay. Yep. All right. 
Well, giving a shout out to the okay, to that's our good. guy who had the cardiac okay, well, arrest. How's recently. he doing? He's apparently doing well. Good. Mind blowing. Good, good. That's great. Um, so you your your dad transferred to Tallahassee. Yep. And you transferred to a you moved to Tallahassee and you moved into a new high school in what tenth grade? Tenth grade is when I went into that. Okay. And, 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 uh, McClay. M- McClay. Yep. Yeah. McClay was a uh I mean, it's a great school in yeah. Tallahassee. It's, yeah. it's a, a K through 12 yeah. college prep school, small. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there were, I think my graduating class was 55 yeah. people. That was it. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, but that's tough moving from Buffalo, New York, Tallahassee, Florida, yeah. and entering a school with with 54 people who have, for the most part, gone to school together at that point now for nine, ten years. Yeah. Um, and, and so it's like, I was the new guy who yeah. talked funny. Plus you needed all new clothes. I needed very new clothes. <laughs> I didn't, I, I could also, I was able to get rid of my hockey stick yeah. temporarily. So what so. sport did you tra- transition to? You know, um, I played, uh, so for me growing up in, in Buffalo, there were four sports. Mm-hmm. Um, it was football, baseball, basketball, and hockey. Okay. Uh, clearly hockey was gone. Mm-hmm. Um, and quite frankly, if you're in Tallahassee now, you can play hockey. But yeah. in the Southeast back then, right. that wasn't an option. Right. Um, McClay didn't have a football program. So football was gone. Yeah. Um, I basically was a little bit shell-shocked. Uh-huh. And for my 10th grade year, did not play any sports. Mm-hmm. I was so annoyed by losing hockey and football. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, to this day, I'm very disappointed in the fact that McClay did have a soccer program. Mm-hmm. And I never gave it a chance. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't consider it even an option yeah. to, to try playing soccer. Yeah. So um, I ended up playing. I also played tennis. So yeah. I ended up playing tennis Good. when I was my, I guess, my junior and senior year yeah. when I was at McClay. Yeah. But, but those that tennis was the only sport that I played yeah. that was um, an organized sport. Well, you're in great in, shape. In you're doing. Is it mostly biking now? I st- well, so f- ironically, I still play ice hockey. Okay. So I, I picked it back up. Okay. Um, and, and I play in a league here in Greenville, uh, and then I I road cycle yeah. a lot. Okay. Yeah. I mean, okay. I every every weekend if yeah. I can. And then when you were in in school in Buffalo, was it a was it a, a private school like that, or was it a big it was, school? I would no, it was a small school as well. Okay. Uh, I went to a, a parochial school, a, yeah. a Catholic school up in in Buffalo. Um, that was a K through eight. Okay. School and yeah. I think my graduating class had twenty four people <laughs> graduating from eighth grade. Okay. Well, yeah, I don't know. You're, you're moving up because I don't know how big Furman was, but it wasn't wasn't that big. It was no, but but the selection of Furman was partially based on on the size. fact that it was size. Yeah. You know, I talked to my high school guidance counselor and and my criteria when I was talking and looking at schools, and you had to keep in mind there, there was no internet to look this stuff up right. at the time. Right. Our only real school option was, um, well. Friends and recommendations yeah. from guidance counselors yeah. or U.S. News and right. World Report had their <laughs> right. college book that they yeah. put out, right? Yeah. So um, my guidance counselor, I told him uh, my only two prerequisites were I circled the Carolinas mm-hmm. because it was halfway back to Buffalo. Mm-hmm. And I said, and I want a small school. Mm-hmm. And uh, and they recommended I look at Furman, yeah. at uh, Davidson and Wofford, yeah. three schools okay. that they recommend I look at. Yeah. And uh, I ended up picking Furman. Did you look at all three? I did, but through brochures. Okay. Not through coming and visiting. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I think Furman, uh, well... I, I mean, think it was a great choice. I, those, was, I, I think you probably would have liked all three of them. I think I would have, too. You know? Yeah. They're all good yeah. schools. But Furman was a great school, great experience, lifetime friends Yeah. that I met there um, yeah. to this day. It is and funny. It, it landed me in Greenville. 
Well, we're, which we're, I did not in 1987 when I graduated think that that may have been the greatest thing in the world, but uh, well, it thanks, turned to out pe- thanks to people like you, it's turned out to be a great city. It's amazing. And we have some wonderful people here. We do. But it is funny when I when I talk to people that are you know roughly our age about picking school, it's always something like, "Well, my cousin went there, and she said it was a good place, yep. and so I chose there." So my guidance counselor recommended those three schools, and then my parents found friends who had a kid home yeah. uh, for Christmas, I, I think it was, or it might have been for summer, actually. I think it was between my junior and senior year when I was making the decision, but um, who went to Furman. So mm-hmm. I went and chit-chatted with that person, and they mm-hmm. talked it up so much. I was like, why would I even think about the other ones? Yeah. I've, I've got a recommendation. Yeah, um, yeah, interesting. And then the funny part of that the whole story is I picked Furman. I got in. We were going to Buffalo, New York for a family reunion that summer yeah. before I even went to Furman. And we were going through Greenville, um, on 85, and, and my dad says, hey, do you want to go see Furman? And I said, no. He's like, you're kidding me. Why don't you want to see it? I said, because if I don't like it, it's too late. Too late. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll, just... I'll be surprised in August when I show up. I like that. I like that thinking. That's good. Yep. That's good. So you, you, you went to Furman, small, halfway to Buffalo, um, and you majored in accounting. So tell us about that choice. Yeah, so originally uh, I... I when I picked Furman, they had a degree that was a business and computer science course. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I picked it. That was one of the reasons I went there was, was that combined degree. Um, and when I got there, the prerequisites that I was taking for, uh, for, the, for that particular major, the computer classes at the time bored me. Hmm. I, I was doing a lot of self-teaching on PC. Mm-hmm. Everything we were learning was mainframe-related mm-hmm. coding. Right. And... I I just it didn't it didn't catch me at yeah. all. What year so, what, what year was that? That was my freshman year. So in eighty three. Eighty three. Eighty three. Okay. Eighty three, eighty four time okay. frame. Okay. Um so, so, so the oh my gosh, so the revolution was already happening and you had mainframe teachers yeah, giving I, my, punch cards. My roommate and I actually had um a PC. Yeah. And I mean I was doing if if you remember back in the time I was doing uh well uh, it was Lotus One Two Three sure. macro development, yeah. but also DBase yeah. as a language yeah. um, was was just starting to come about, and I was learning in how to program in yeah. DBase, but all on my own. Yeah. So I switched, but I, I I mentioned it was a business and a computer degree. I was taking accounting classes. My dad's a CFO, by mm-hmm. the way, mm-hmm. so I think accounting's a little bit in the blood. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't know anything from him. I, the accounting classes just clicked. Mm. They just made complete and total sense yeah. to me. Yeah. Um, and so when I decided ah, I don't want to do these computer, these computer classes, I'm learning more on my own than I am in these classes. Yeah. I think that was a little bit of the um, – um, I, I was naive and I was also a little bit um, – I had a little too much self-confidence at times, <laughs> honestly. Yeah. Um, and there's a little bit, when we get to some more of the story, I yeah. think that self-confidence is, shines through again a yeah. couple of times. Yeah. But uh, I was like, I can teach myself the computer stuff, but this accounting right. stuff really is fascinating. It's interesting. Yeah. So. Well, I can appreciate the frustration you must have had because I, I was a little ahead of you in school. I don't know. I graduated when you were starting, but... Uh, they were still at Citadel. They were still doing punch cards and yeah. in, in minis and mainframes. And I mean, I couldn't imagine going to one of those classes when you're actually doing stuff on the computer back in your room. Yeah, and doing, I mean, everything, including yeah. opening it and all these. But you, these now, deep I didn't give it enough time. And I, to be I honest know. with you, yeah. I, the, it probably was a great major. Yeah. 
I just didn't, I wasn't patient enough. Right. Well, that's all right. That's why you're an entrepreneur, I suppose. Probably. Once again, there's a theme that, <laughs> that right. does run through a little bit early in my so life. So did you know D-Base 3, wasn't that an Ashton Tate product? It was. Did you know the story behind Ashton I, Tate? I know. I know there's a Greenville connection. Well, Tate, his name was George yep. Tate, and he, he was from Greenville, went to Silicon Valley and started D-Base, and... Uh, Added to Ashton because some marketing company said it would sound better <laughs> than, than Tate software. That's awesome. You know, Ashton Tate sounds pretty good. It does sound good, actually. Yeah. Good marketing. And then uh, it was a great product. His brother or cousin started Baby Superstore. That's pretty successful. Yep. And then two of his nephews worked for DataStream. That's awesome. Yeah, Tate yep. and uh, uh, anyway, um, it's a, it's a it's a great story. I wish. Uh, I wish he would, he would have been able to come back and kind of share that with the group. But anyway, it was a heck of a story for Greenville to have one of the early database companies. Honestly, I don't think Copus would be here if it hadn't been for DBase and then leading to um, – there was a, pro, a product that allowed you to compile DBase code into uh, an executable called Clipper, yeah. which was a very popular language back yeah. in the late 80s, early 90s okay. that I really – I, I sunk my teeth heavy into that. Okay. Um, and, and the reality is the, the, the dots connect because okay. of all that. So I can probably point back to yeah. uh, getting my hands on those first five and a quarter floppies with yeah. D-Base. Um, <laughs> so the whole sleeve of them? Oh, you had, yeah. to, like, had 10 of them to install. That was right? what we're talking yeah. about. <laughs> um, so this is an important theme uh, for, the, for, the, for the folks listening is, is that Andy somehow probably accidentally discovered a real passion for computers and for databases and things like that uh, that led him to eventually start uh, an IT company that would help people with that kind of thing. Uh, before we get to that, I'll just put a pitch in for accounting. You know, Warren Buffett, if, if you say, Warren Buffett, what is your one piece of advice to people that want to get into business? Do you know what he says? Guessing it's related to accounting. He says, learn accounting. <laughs> he goes, how in the world? He goes, you could be the greatest salesperson in the world. Or you can be a wonderful inventor. But if you understand how the that's, – that's how business works is yeah, numbers. makes sense. Yeah, and the balance sheet, income statement, cash flow, all that stuff. So um, you might not have to major in it, but you better understand it. Yep, I agree with them. Yeah. I, to this day, I love it. Yeah. Um, uh, don't love public accounting. Right. Right? I don't love the, the um, disciplines of tax and audit and those types of things. Right. But I've always said what I love about accounting is the ability to understand the business – where does it stand and, and, and what needs to change? Right. And, and fairly quickly just look at a financial statement. In fact, my team sometimes, um, I, they just kind of look at me and I shock when I can just look at a financial statement and go, something's wrong. Something's wrong. I, yeah. Something's yeah. not right here. And then yeah. sure enough, we dig into it. And, right. and There's yep, a wrong so, number or something. Something's wrong. It's yeah. just that it, it, doesn't just, it doesn't make sense just looking at a one-page yeah. financial statement. Hmm. Like, it's... Well, so you, you got that discipline, you got out of Furman, and what was the graduating class? I think it was 700. 700, okay. Somewhere well, in there, six, 700 people, 56, 700, that's, that's good progression. That was a big, yeah, that's not bad. pretty good jump. But you, you stayed in Greenville and went to work for Price Waterhouse, yep. which at the time was one of the... Big eight. Yeah, big eight. Big eight how many time. are left I that, now? I think it's four. Four. I think I'm right. What's it called right. now? Price Cooper well, Coop, or something? Um... You know, I should know that since I'm an alum, but... I, price something. Price, 
It might be, yeah. Cooper's is definitely in there. Okay. <laughs> so there's four. PwC, yeah. PricewaterhouseCoopers. Okay, four big. I think it's counting four. companies left in the, in the country, big ones. I think. So you worked for the, for them, and you did. What was your area? Uh, auditing. Auditing. Yeah. So you would go in. The, the CFO of a company would turn in their books for the quarter, and you would go in and audit it before they would publish. It was typically them. an annual. For, for us, I was working um, at the time. Price had satellite offices, so Greenville was not a huge office, yeah. right? So, um, and we didn't have a lot of publicly traded companies that we were doing work for. So, what we tended to be doing is working on the annual audited financials. Okay. And quite frankly, the story of ending up at Price is so similar to the story of ending up at Furman. Again, yeah. no internet. Yeah. My knowledge of what my opportunities were in terms of a job were incredibly limited, mm -hmm. no real opportunity to research it. Yeah. And one day in September, my senior year, they come into our accounting class and say, after class, go to the job center and sign up for the interviews. Mm -hmm. uh, I went and signed up for the interviews. Well, the only companies interviewing were Greenville-based companies. Mm -hmm. So at the time, I think we had four of the big eight in Greenville. Mm -hmm. um, and then we had Elliot Davis was here. Yeah. And so I went and signed up for my five interviews, got my five job offers, um, picked price, yeah. And uh, ironically, because it was the smallest office, okay. <laughs> so uh, going back to that, I, yeah. I, I kind of just yeah. for some reason liked that that smaller, yeah. um, quite frankly, a little more entrepreneurial. Yeah. Um, but that's why I stayed in Greenville. It was no great decision. It was a them walking in and 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 not really realizing that all the opportunities that were out there right. that that I could have done differently. Yeah. And so where was the office physically located? It was in uh, downtown in what was the Nations Bank building, uh, turned into the Bank of America building, okay. is now the, I think, not... It's Canal. It's No, it's not Canal. It's, it's right there at, um, right at the heart of, of Main Street and, and where coffee comes in. Okay. Um, and and the, the big, tall building... Yeah. It was Bank of America. It was Bank of America yeah. building. Yeah. And, and so we were on, I believe, the ninth floor of that building. Yeah. Um, and let me tell you, in 1987, downtown Greenville, that was not a hopping, no. hopping place. No, right? It is now. It is now. But yeah. I remember lunch options. Well, we could go to Hot Dog King, I think, and Marines. Yeah. Those Marines were, was good, though. Marines was awesome. Yeah. Yep. I still, was, the chef salad was yeah. one of the best. Yeah. But, and the Hot Dog King was down where Sobeys is. Exactly. Yeah. But those were, I, there weren't very many lunch options in downtown Greenville <laughs> other than those two. So. Wow. Yeah. Times have changed. Yes, they have. Huh. That's a good building. Yeah. I like that building. So, how many years did you work there? I only worked for two years. And then did you learn anything about the businesses you studied? Oh, I did. Um, and what was interesting is as I was working in the audit side of those business, when I, my brain was thinking through what could computers do. Yeah. And keep in mind, this is, I mean, we were doing handwritten auditing work papers. Mm -hmm. I mean, we literally had big binders where we were handwriting invoice one, two, three, four, five, check. Yeah. Boom. All of it was completely manual. And so my brain was always twirling on. How could this process I'm doing with price be automated, yeah. but also the business stuff that we were looking at? How, what are, what are the options? Where can computers be used uh, there as well? Yeah. Um, but, I, yeah, I learned – I say I learned a lot. I mean, I, I got to deal with inventory and started to understand the importance of inventory. Mm -hmm. Started to understand financials better mm -hmm. um, and, 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 and reading that and certainly understood um, – you know, we were primarily in the accounts payable, accounts receivable, inventory, yeah. those types of yeah. functions. But 
Yeah. Um, it was it was valuable, but I also learned I didn't like audit. Yeah. Which was probably the most valuable thing. Yeah, but probably another a good extension on your education to see behind the curtains at uh, multiple businesses what's going on, how things work, and then you were sounds like you were thinking about we could turn these computers loose here and help them figure out where their best customers were. Or yeah, yeah. I don't think I got quite as deep as 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 figuring out. Yeah. How they could improve their business as much as process? Just process. Okay. Yeah, I was way more process oriented yeah. at the time. I remember, you know, if you go back and look at the old Steve Jobs videos on YouTube, there's one where they ask him early on, you know, well, with this new uh, Macintosh computer, what do you think businesses will do with it? And he's like, well, we don't know yet. Yep. He's like, he goes, we're thinking maybe uh, accounting. That's it was so like kind of the first yep. thing he thought of was, you know, because you obviously can hit the button and process the numbers. That's yep. um, so funny. But, you know, it's come a long way since then. It is. It is. But it's a great example of put it out there and let, let people's imagination right. figure out what they can do with right. what it, problems they yeah. can solve. Yeah. Well, this is a little early, but I can't, because of what you just said, I want to talk about it. The, the new thing, the chat GPT, um, I kind of I describe it as kind of Google on steroids or Google plus artificial intelligence. Yeah, that's probably how I describe um, it. T- tell us what what you know, what you think about it and how it might apply to your customers. You're doing custom applications for people. How might they use or consider using this for their business? You know, specifically around that one technology, I, I don't have any direct thoughts on yeah, that one. Yeah. As much as it is absolutely an extension of AI, and it's AI. Um, taken to the next level, um, right, in terms of of your ability to communicate with it and then its ability to put out um, information and creativity that is a little bit mind-blowing. So, for instance, I'm a a really big jam band fan, and, Mm -hmm. and somebody fed in apparently a bunch of fish songs and then said, Give me a fish song, or give me the lyrics to a fish song about X Y Z, and or finish, or add lyrics to this fish yeah. song, and it was mind blowing yeah. how good they were. Yeah. <laughs> they were actually awesome lyrics, yeah. uh, which is a little bit scary, it's right? Scary. So, part of it is going to be a, a, a challenge, I think, to society of what's what's machine created versus real, real people, human created, yeah. Yeah. Um, and and so and. In some cases, we probably care. In some cases, I don't think we do. The larger picture on our business side is, is about where we can leverage that kind of technology and that kind of AI function and functionality in automation. Mm-hmm. Right? Such a huge part of what, what Copus does, both on our ERP side but also on our app dev side, is how do we automate processes and how do we, so how do we make them more reliable, more predictable, more consistent, yeah. and not as reliant on people and specifically not as reliant on Superman to, to get the job done, right? right? So right, right. how do we make this so that um, everybody can do it the, the, the same way and, yeah. and do, it, do it correctly? Yeah. Well, I think it'll be very interesting, particularly for, for companies like yours, because I think your customers are going to say, how can we use this to help us do so-and-so? So it'll be hopefully... It, more business. It will be. I think one of the interesting things that we do that that I hope we can um, leverage some of that technology with is a concept called an innovation lab, mm-hmm. which is where 
it's not really a project where somebody has come in and say, I want you to build something to automate X, Y, Z. It's more, come help us answer a question. Mm -hmm. Can this technology yeah. do this? Yeah. So it's really kind of prototyping slash research with a customer yeah. to figure out is something possible okay. um, from either a technological standpoint, um, you know, do we have the technology to do it? Or yes, it's doable, but is it cost effective to do it? And, right. and does it produce the results? So I, I'm curious to see, that's probably where that's going to start for us, yeah. our innovation labs. Well, for any, for any of the noob schoolers who had not tried it yet, chat G. P-T, Golf Papa Tango, and it's not an app. It's not an app yet. it got to go to the web and, and, and go to the URL and look it up. But, it's uh, again, it's Google on steroids, so I would I'd definitely try it. It'd be interesting to see. Got what, Google scared from everything I've read. It ought to. Yep. I, I'm not going to Google. I haven't gone to Google in a week. Oh, that's amazing. I just go right to this thing and type it in, and I get, you know, a, a more um, – a more, I think it's it's a fuller answer. Yeah, it's a fuller answer to my question versus just a bunch of links. Yep, that's interesting. So I, yep. I, I like it. Um, all right. So this is important. This is important. So you're rolling along, doing a good job. You're learning it at, at Price Price Waterhouse. How did you roll from accounting major, working at a public accounting firm, to entrepreneur, got my own business? So. Step one was I got my first opportunity to leave Price, which okay. was literally our first. I was doing an audit. One of the clients said, would you like to be our controller? Mm -hmm. And I was so anxious to get out of audit. I'm, I'm pretty sure I didn't ask what the salary was. I think I just said yes. <laughs> yes. I think I just said yes. Yeah. That was a, um, an industrial automation company. That okay. company did PLC programming okay. and electrical control system design. Uh, heavily autom doing automation in, in the textile space, okay. which was, of course, really big back in, this would have been the 89, 90 time frame. Um, so I went as their controller, and first thing I did, implement computerized accounting system. Mm -hmm. Then didn't have a job costing system. Couldn't find one, so wrote a job costing system yeah. for them. So, did you write so it? I wrote it. Wow. So, um, and so... Uh, relatively rudimentary, but mm -hmm. but enough that we could get the, the job costing stuff. Um, that was eye opening when I got that job costing data in there. I realized this and this great example of where we're having systems and data and visibility so critical. This company had a lot of large projects that they were doing, yeah. and um, they were multi year projects. Once I got the job costing data in, I realized we are we're underwater on most of these projects mm. as a company. Wow. And um, ironically, we, was, we were in there doing the audit and didn't know it, huh. but didn't have the data. Right. So once I got the data backfilled, realized that. So um, fast forwarding, I, I, I went to the owner and shared what I, the concerns, and, and, and he, he wasn't as concerned. Um, but myself and another person in that company said, you know what, I think we could do this too. And uh, don't, didn't have confidence the company was going to survive. Mm -hmm. So myself and that gentleman who was an engineer, he was an electrical engineer, I'm an accountant, we went and started our own company. We each threw in a whopping $500 and started an industrial automation company. Nice. Um, uh, two people, as you can imagine, he was an engineer, so he was generating revenue and yeah. he was getting a paycheck. There was not a lot of accounting yeah. to do. So <laughs> to eat, I started doing software development okay. contracting okay. for organizations. Okay. So that's actually where the software development 
um, as a doing it for hire started coming from. Okay. Is I, I started finding people who needed software written. I said, I can write that. So mm-hmm. I would do that, do the little bit of accounting at night. And, yeah. and, and I, I ended up doing that with companies like Floor. Yeah. Was a bit was one of my larger companies, BMW. Yeah. Um, was doing software development at BMW. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and ultimately, in, in 99, turned that into Copus. Right. 99. So what year would you have gone out on your own? What year would that have been? Uh, 19... Uh, I'm going to say 1990. Okay. okay. Right, right in there, 89, 90 okay. time frame. And so... Whopping 23 years old. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. I like it. You, yeah. You, you put your time in in corporate America. Oh, my two gosh. Years. I gave him two whole years. Yeah, two years. I will never forget the partner when I <laughs> turned in my notice. He says, you have not learned. You're making a mistake. Yeah. You should stay and learn on our dime. A little bit longer, mm-hmm. and those words, I, I those burned me for a <laughs> long time. And I was like, I'm going to prove you wrong. Good. Um, and I did, did drive me. Yeah. Although I met he he hosted a, a Price Waterhouse reunion, probably 15 years later. Yeah. And the first thing I did was I walked up to him and said, "You were right. I should have learned, <laughs> learned on your dime a little bit longer." <laughs> Well, you never know. You never know what the other door would, would be. You don't know. But don't. Um, so, I guess what I'm thinking is, when you were making these calls to sell your personal development services early on, were you calling on the CFOs and the accounting people, or the CEOs, or or who? Uh, it depended. So, you know, in the larger companies, I certainly wasn't calling on the CEO of Floor or BMW, yeah, right? Right, um, right? Those were those were typically referrals that people who knew what I did made a refer- a referral of, yeah. of this, which to me has always been a huge part of sales. Yeah. It, it's been make one customer happy, and they're either going to refer you internally or to other people that they know. Yeah. And so that warm handshake, that right. warm handoff is yeah. so much easier than, right. than the cold calling. Right. Um, smaller businesses, which I would do software development for and, and other computer-related services, was definitely calling on um, both owners of those businesses yeah. kind of in the SMB space as well as either financial people or, or the, the operational level right. people. It was so, be somewhere in there. So I'll make a guess here that one of the reasons you were successful early on was because you weren't a guy who just majored in computer science. Because if you had, you'd be going to these people talking about computer science, right? And this bits and bytes and whatever. And you went in there talking about, I know you guys are probably seeing these things on your balance sheet. I can help you with this stuff over here to make it go away. Yeah, and I don't know if it was quite as much uh, like balance sheet or income statement related, yeah. but it was very much a um, why are, what are, trying to understand why are we trying to solve this problem, right? right? And I've always said, and my, my team quotes me on this uh, all the time, is there's really only three reasons any organization should ever spend money with us uh-huh. or with anybody. They either should spend money with us because what we're doing is going to help them sell more, generate more revenue. Mm. They're going to spend money with us because we're going to help them reduce their costs of delivering on that revenue, mm-hmm. or we're going to help them eliminate a risk, which is actually just elimination of a future cost, yes, yeah. right? So in reality, there's two. Yeah. Make me more money. Save me money. Sell more. Less expensive to do it. Yeah. It's, it, 
any other reason to spend money by an organization yeah. is just because they want to, right? <laughs> right. Right. right? right. So um, I, I, I think because of the financial and the accounting background, I kind of had my head around, listen, those are really the things that matter. Yeah. So let's try to understand why we're doing this right. and, 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 and not, not walk in talking zeros and ones, but try to understand why and then yeah. hit that bullseye. But in terms of your, you know, we're talk, we talk to the noob schoolers about having a skill stack. You know, what are the different things that you're, you're pretty good at? And, you know, because you, you were, became pretty good at developing, you know, software for businesses, and you became pretty good at, at understanding numbers and being an accountant, those two things together, they were, is, I think, really helped you to get, to, so get to Copus. I think so, too. They, um, once again, I always had, uh, uh, for some reason, a capability of walking into an organization, sit down in a room in a business I've never been in before, and they start talking about their problems, and I can real quickly understand the problem mm-hmm. and start to see potential ways to solve it. Right. So that's a, uh, I, don't, that, I don't think that was learned. I think that just, it, uh, it probably was learned because of uh, the base of knowledge yeah. that, I, that I'd gained. Yeah. And then the ability to translate that and how do I do that with the technology we have available? How right. do we solve this with the technology? And connecting those dots was, was definitely a skill that was part of my selling, right. my selling process. Right. The reality is my selling process was very much a combination of um, understanding and then solutioning mm-hmm. and creating confidence yeah. um, that we could solve the problem. Uh, that that somebody who's just more focused on the sales side probably needs to partner up with, um, you know, in our in our world now, our our salespeople partner up with a solution architect. Yeah. So that that our salespeople's job is understand the why. Mm-hmm. Why are they? Why do they? Why are they trying to solve this problem? What is the what is the pain that 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 is driving them to be willing to spend money to solve a problem? Um, what are the constraints that yeah. we face? Are yeah. there budget constraints, people constraints, um, technology constraints? Yeah. Then bring in the solution architect, who's the expert who can figure that out. I I was able to merge those two things yeah. into just me doing them both. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it, it's not required right. to be able to successfully sell. Yeah. What's interesting is back to, you know, we talk about the skill stack. <clears throat> Steve Jobs talks about how he, he took these classes when he was, you know, att- let's say attending college for a little while in uh, typography, you know, okay, yeah, and yeah. all that kind of crazy stuff. And how it, that kind of turned into the Apple, that beautiful Apple logo, the simplicity of it yep. and the, and the and font and everything. Because you never know when these things are going to come together. Um, so I think it's, you know, I go back and forth. Sometimes you think you should laser focus and just get really good at one thing, and then sometimes you're like, why don't you learn about a number of things and see where that leads? You can probably do both. Do both. I, I do think there's real value in laser focus yeah. when you have your goal and yeah. your objective and yeah. what you're trying to solve, right? And so, however, having a broad foundation of knowledge about a lot of different things yeah. can help with that laser focus, in I my agree. opinion. And, I agree. And so. I agree. And you don't have to get great at everything. You really should be great. You can't. <laughs> right. You should be great at something and then understand a lot of other things. That's, that's yeah. So I think a huge part for me is, is the ability to ultimately have that huge base of knowledge and then figure out when to connect the dots. And there were times in that focus of, well, we're trying to solve this problem. It's like, yeah, you know what? I've, I've heard or read about X, Y, Z. 
I think now it's time to dig deeper into that. But yeah. just to even know that that was even an option yeah. and, 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 and to look into this might be the time for this technology to, to come yeah. into play um, or this technique or this capability. Okay. Well, that's amazing. I just love, I love the story. I love to hear how people go from, let's call it a normal job, to having their own business. And uh sounded like your first step was just getting out of the big co- company to a smaller company yep. and then figuring out. I definitely made the move from that big corporate, which big eight accounting. It was yeah. absolutely big corporate. Big, yeah. um, even though I was in an, a smaller entrepreneurial office, it was still big eight yeah. accounting, down to what was a, absolutely a entrepreneurial startup. So I got to watch for that time I was the controller there, a very entrepreneurial company by a guy who'd started the company himself. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, once again, a little bit of impatience. I mentioned earlier a, a combination of impa- impatience um, and then maybe some overconfidence. Of, mm. I can do this better. Yeah. And, and me and a gentleman just decided to take that plunge. Yeah. And, then, and then, quite frankly, the software development came from desperation to eat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's... Uh... That's a, that's a good motivation. It was a good, really good one. My wife thought so too. Yeah. No kids at the time, but but um, yeah. but my wife was really interested in food showing up on the table too. So now you you started Copus, and so that's ninety nine. Yep, ninety nine. Okay, ninety nine. May first, nineteen ninety nine. And uh, ironically, opened up the office uh, about probably a hundred yards from that Price Waterhouse spot. Wow. We opened it in a little. Uh, we were subleasing a little office. Um, right in that Bergamo Plaza okay. in one of the buildings there okay. was where we started nice. the company. Very nice. But 99 was very different than, than 87, Greenville. Yeah. Yes, it was better. Also, it was probably good for custom development people, I would think, with the Y2K coming. It's a good lot of Y2K You know what? Like, so, so the irony here is is I thought I was one of the most brilliant business people ever. Yeah. Uh, also a great salesperson mm-hmm. because when I started in May of 99, there were three of us myself and two other folks that who were developers, um, we quickly went to 15, mm-hmm. really quickly. Mm-hmm. And then by, so that would have been in 2000, coming into 2000 and for a little bit into 2000. And then, oh my gosh, by the uh, middle of 2001, yeah. we were, oops. No, That's all right. It's actually my daughter, the <laughs> soccer player. Oh my gosh, you should talk to her. <laughs> uh, tell you what, let me just tell her I'll call her back. Yeah, tell her. So um, she's got a professional soccer player daughter. Where's yeah, she? Where's she, she living now? She lives in Raleigh. Plays for the North Raleigh. Carolina Courage right now. Okay, very nice. Um, remind me where? Oh, so so, fifteen people. We went from three people to fifteen people. Yeah. Um, and then by two thousand and one, we were back down to about four. Okay. And what I learned a very valuable lesson, which is. The confluence of Y2K and the emergence of the internet mm-hmm. doesn't happen all that. That's not normal. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I'm a genius. Oh, my God. It was so easy. Yeah, uh, right? Yeah. All I had to do is find a person yeah. who pretended they knew about computers and yeah. somebody would hire them. Yeah. Right? And then, obviously, Y2K, we got through it. You know, A couple months afterwards, we started scaling back on that. Yeah. And then um, in, in the NASDAQ bubble burst right. and then you had 911 yeah. happen and oh one things and in, in about one year oh my gosh yeah it was a really intriguing first couple of years yeah. so it was up down and then then we then we started building it on a much more yeah. stair step approach yeah wow wow so you you started the business it was going great because of Y2K 
people were hiring Andy's company to just fix things. So when we flipped over to the year 2000, that all the systems didn't break, right? Okay, that was that's all. That's what Y2K that was. was. What it was. Yep. We got a lot of business from it too. Yep. And then when that Y2K came and went, and nothing really bad happened because of all the great work we did. Of course, you saved the world. We did. That we were good. part of it. At that was least. good. That was good. All right. Well, that's which a, I'm sure is partially true, by the way. Well, it is with your it, customers anyway. There I mean, were there were definitely systems that would have broken yeah. had had the effort not been spent. I'm I'm sure it was. Um. We probably we probably did things that were were overkill. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a long time ago. It is a long time ago. No statute of limitations there. No. Okay. Um, so you got through that, and before we before we keep going there, let's start talking about interviewing. It's very important to our our audience is the things you learned about hiring your first people and what people did well and not so well to either get or not get a job. Yeah, so you know, I I would actually tell you that I'm not the greatest interviewer, okay. and, and never have been. Okay. Um, personally, I I think I hired the first. Oh my gosh, I probably hired the first twenty something people in mm-hmm. our company. Um, and actually, I probably did okay. Yeah. Um, a lot, but I think I was terrible at asking questions, and I was really good at selling yeah. our business. Right. And so I I I I look back on that and realized um, that. That I'm not a great interviewer. Mm-hmm. Um, you want you want somebody to describe with passion why Copus is a great place to work. Yeah, I'm your guy. Right. But uh, so I brought in a larger team to help us on the interview process, and I'll tell you what I've learned from them more than what I personally am, am good at is number one, making sure it's a cultural fit, which I think I was doing inherently. Yeah. Um, so that is a two way street. And we make sure when we're doing interviews, we make sure everybody knows this, this cultural, uh, this analysis of is, is it a good cultural fit is something that we're doing with you, but you need to be doing it with us too, right? Yeah. So I, I would tell every interviewee that, that they should be looking at, at as part of the interview process. What's the culture of who I'm interviewing with? And do I believe it's going to actually help me become a better person and, and, and thrive yeah. Or is it going to be something that I'm going to struggle in? Because if you're going to struggle in it, you, you won't do it for long. Yeah. Right? Um, yeah. So um, the other thing is, is, is uh, we can tell when an interviewee comes in prepared, mm-hmm. right? So I, preparation ahead of time, at least knowing the company you're talking to, <laughs> certainly a lot easier now going to website. What yeah. do they do? Yeah. Uh, and, and, and having some of that information down as well as going on LinkedIn and maybe knowing some of the key people. And yeah. so, so already walking in, we're always impressed when somebody's done some research ahead of time. Yes. Doesn't just tell us about the interview. It tells us a little bit about their process and how they're going to approach things. And quite frankly, from a sales standpoint, yeah. probably very important from, you know, when, when we're trying to break into a new customer, research is a huge part of that. Right. Do it, do it when you're interviewing for, right. the, for the job is, right. is a big one to me. And then the other one is, is quite honest, honesty mm. on the interview. We don't mind if the answer to a question is either a pause and I have to think about that mm-hmm. or give me some time or, or I don't know. Yeah. Um, that's actually better than stumbling through and making stuff up because yeah. um, and it, we can see right through that. Yeah. Um, and, and so... Again, I, I don't care if it's our developers, project managers, or a salesperson. That that honesty of and, and the the willingness to say, 
I, I don't know. Yeah. Um, my favorite interview question that I always ask when I'm brought in on interviews now is describe to me the job you think you're interviewing for. <laughs> and it is sometimes, well, it doesn't happen anymore. Our team knows I'm going to ask that question. Okay. So they make darn sure right. that there's no misunderstanding yeah. there. Yeah. But you'd be surprised early on how often the description of the job by the interviewee and what we're actually interviewing for mm -hmm. did not match. Right. And it's like, well, so um, making, I think it's part of the interviewee's job to make darn sure they have a good idea of what is the job that I'm interviewing for and what's yeah. the definition of success yeah. in this job. Yeah. And how, how comfortable are you that you can succeed in that? So yeah. To me, those are some of the really key things. Those are great. There's a lot of little tactical things you can do, but, but at a big level... Those things, and, and I, I think we walk out of an interview impressed. Yeah, I agree. I think those are all great, and they're all great to, to pass on to the, the noob schoolers. Um, you know, the, the one thing different about what you said is the honesty part. I think that most people go in there thinking they've got to have the perfect answer to every question. Yeah. And the perfect answer may be, you know, the reason there's a gap here is because, you know, I decided to goof off for four months. I went and stayed with my cousin in Tucumcari, and uh, now I'm back. You and know? now I'm back. And you'd be like, that was cool. What was Tucumcari like? Yep. You know, that would be you my— You could probably tell me, what did you learn while you were there? Right. right? Why did you come back? Yep. You know Why did mean? you come back? Yeah. Yep, yep. But if they could have said, well, it was just a, a repositioning— you know, could have just—you could tell they were BSing. Yeah, yeah. So be honest. Be honest. And, and if, that, if that answer doesn't work— then we're not a good fit. It, exactly. I think that answers the cultural question, right. too. Helps answer it, that. my so. company, Tucumcari would be cool. Yep. I'd love to hear it. Probably you, too. So, you know? Oh, definitely. But so the um, the reality is if, if the answer to every question is I don't know, or it's, it's like, well, probably not a good fit as well, <laughs> right, right? So, right, But but it's right. perfectly fine. Right. You know, we, we, we've now modified our interview process where early, before we even bring a group of people in, Two people just go sit down and have coffee. Uh-huh. Just make sure. And it's just a it's a fifteen to thirty minute conversation yeah. over coffee, not an interview. Yeah. Just to make sure two ways. Yeah. Culturally. Right. Good? Yeah. Do we do we do we think there's is it even worth spending anybody else's time, right. including the interviewee's time? Right. Doing like that's so. good. Yep. That's good. That's good. Um now I assume being on time is important. It's one thing I hear pretty consistently is that it's a disqualifier. For an interview, definitely. Okay. Definitely. Be yeah. early, as a matter of fact. I yeah. mean, don't be 30 minutes early. Yeah. But I don't think there's anything, there's nothing wrong with walking in five minutes early. Mm -hmm. What about, uh, like, uh, I've been to your office, it's, it's pretty casual. What would you expect a salesperson to dress like when they came for an interview? I would expect business casual, quite business frankly. Casual. I, I don't want them really walking in in jeans. And in the end, you're probably going to, when you're working for us, there's going to be a lot of days you're wearing jeans. <laughs> um, that's not the, probably the way to approach an interview. Yeah. And same way with going to a client for the first time. Yeah. I, I know I'm wearing them right now, but yeah. if I'm going to meet a client for the first time, I am yeah. not wearing right. jeans. I'm dressing up um, and until I learn learn enough about them to yeah. know whether jeans is appropriate, yeah. um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end up wearing khakis and a, a button-down shirt. And, and so and, if we were interviewing with you and we'd had, say, a pretty good interview so far, and all of a sudden you say, well, John, 
um, what questions do you have for me? Which is kind of my cue, right? That's my cue. Because really, I don't think you want to walk in there blasting out questions right off the bat. Nope. I think you want to wait. And it's my turn. How many questions do you think are appropriate for someone to ask? I don't think there's a number. Okay. Depends on the quality of the questions. Okay. Um, you know, uh, it, if I'm getting asked, or if, if we're getting asked questions that would have been easily answered by doing research on, <laughs> yeah. on our website, yeah. we're going to be annoyed. Yeah. And yeah. probably one yeah. is too many questions. Yeah. Um, but if, we're, if they're good questions, yeah. if they're actually questions that are around you trying to figure out, are we a good fit? Mm -hmm. I don't think that we really feel like there's okay. a number of them that, that, that's... That's a good answer. That's, as, long, as long as it makes sense, they can ask more. Yeah, but I think if, if they become annoying questions, you know, that's... You know, if they're not good questions, then it becomes annoying. Yeah, and so people might ask, what's a good question? Once again, I, I think if, it's, if, if the information's readily available and, and yeah. spend the 30 minutes before the interview doing research on yeah. who we are and, yeah. and, and the company... Um, you know what we do. If that that's annoying. Yeah. Right. Um, I like a question like, uh, you know, if, if you if you hired me a year from now, what would a what would success look like for that first year? Yep. That would be good. Or what, what are your? That's most, a great question. What are your most even success, success in the first ninety days? Ninety days. What are your most successful salespeople? What are their What are their most most popular habits that they do every day? Yep. That kind of stuff. Yep. Any of those types of questions. Yeah, and I. I do feel like there's kind of two phases to it. One is certainly you don't want to not say anything. You don't want to be like, I don't have any questions. Yeah. You know? so, but you, at the very least, you want to have a couple of good questions. But if the conversation flows and you have more and more, I think, you know, you can kind of feel it for yourself. I think so, too. The other one that um, I will say for a salesperson interviewing mm -hmm. um, I kind of like to see them end the interview with a close if they think it's good, right? right? So, right. Um, you know, even just a, yeah, how did I do? Or, or when are you going to make a decision? Yeah. Um, a scale of one to ten. Yeah, things like that that are, <laughs> that are giving some indication yeah. of, of, so walking in, yeah. hey, I research, exiting, hey, I'm going for, I'm yeah. going to, for the close, or yeah. at least the disqualification, right? I, I'm in or I'm out. Yeah, I um, love that. I agree, and it doesn't happen much. I had a young, a young salesperson one time I was interviewing, First interview, we, we finish, finish up, you know, and, and I said, I'll tell you what, like what you said, I'll give you a ring on Tuesday. And he goes, he pulls his phone out. He goes, you got your phone with you, don't you? I said, yeah. He goes, why don't we just check our calendars real quick <laughs> put something on the calendar? Brilliant. I'm like, I don't need to talk to you Tuesday. You're hired. Let's that, do it. Exactly. That's I mean, a great, that great. is a great, yep. He, cr yep. he crushed me. Exactly. It was great. That's, that's awesome. good. That's good. Well, that's, that's good on interviewing. Um, is there anything that that sticks out to you that people did that just got them kicked, not, not thrown out of an interview, but immediately you knew you weren't going to hire them? Wow. The answer is yes, and I can't think of what. Okay. I mean, I can tell you that I have sat in interviews, yeah. and in the first five minutes, right. I'm like, I, I, I know this yeah. is... And, and now that's almost a... God, I, I'd like to just end this for both of our sake right now. Right. But... That's almost rude. Yeah. I don't think it actually is, but yeah. but it feels rude. Right. And so, um, but I can't think of exactly what the, it was. It was either, you know, in some cases, it's I, I can tell from a personality standpoint that there's no, the cultural. Yeah. Uh, that doesn't happen to us anymore. Once mm -hmm. again, that screening process early right. on. Yeah. 
those people don't even walk in the door. Right, you don't so, see them until they've gone through a few screens. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, and no, honestly, there's just two people on our team that do that initial screening. That, yeah. that so we never see anybody who it's like eh, they don't get it. Yeah. Um, the likewise on certain things like technology stack, yeah. like if we're hiring developers, um, you know. Um, you know, some some testing to make sure that we've got somebody who who is a good sales candidate. Mm-hmm. That those pre-screening things, I think, have filtered out a lot of the um, situations where hey, it's really obvious right. that this is not a good fit. Right. So that's happened less and less. Um, right. And and if I had, once again, I can't remember specifics. I think that's happened to me more with hiring technical talent, mm-hmm. where I realized right away not a good fit than than it has been sales talent. Okay. Um, yeah, one more thing on the interviewing that, that we used to do, we, we used to have receptionists. And we coached the receptionists up to talk to all the interviewees as they waited. Hmm. And she would tell us what she thought. That's great. And, man, she would say, you're going to love Andy. <laughs> or she would say, she would go, mm-mm. No. There's your screening process. Yeah. You, you probably that was the first screen, yeah. and it was yeah. it was unbelievable. She was uncanny how good she was because they if they were a jerk to the receptionists, they were gonna yep. they were gonna work yep. at our company. Makes sense. Yeah. Yep. I think once again that's kind of what our our group is screening. Yeah. And and figuring that out over a cup of coffee really quickly now. Yeah. Good. All right. Well, let's move on. Um, let's talk about building the company. So, you went after. The dot-com bust in 2001, I guess. Yep. And But since then, it's been a nice steady run uh, for Copus over the years. And I know you've done a couple of acquisitions along yep. the way. Can you kind of describe the process from, from then to now? Yeah, what I'll tell you is probably the first uh, 15 years, we grew, but we grew... Um, we grew as much as one person could have make it grow. Uh-huh. I, I did it very much... Just through brute force, yeah. and um, I've told people I, I didn't know it at the time, but I've realized I held back our ability to grow by keeping control over everything. Yeah. And, and there's one of the downsides of being able to do coding, do project management, do sales, right. do the accounting. Yeah. I could do it all. I yeah. shouldn't do it all, yeah. but I could do it all. Yeah. And so, you know, in the early days when there's three of us, I needed to do it all. Mm-hmm. But but I let go. Of the, it took me too long to let go of the reins. Mm-hmm. Um, so the reality is, we grew, but um, and we, we did steady growth, and it was very stair-step yeah. growth. Um, you know, I, I was the primary salesperson. I had always had one other person helping me with the sales, but we very much had a mindset of sell to our capacity. Mm-hmm. If we had 10 developers, we were always trying to keep 10 developers busy mm-hmm. instead of just go find as much business as we could, and then we'll find the developers to do it all. Yeah. We didn't have that mindset. Yeah. We very much had a, this is our inventory, sell that much. Right. Um, Hey, we've got them all busy for three months. Well, we can quit selling mm-hmm. for a while. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and, and we 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 literally that, that's that's pretty much how we approached yeah. the process. Yeah. Um, in 2014, we were at a size of number of people that that it just got to be un. The reality is, it got to be no fun mm-hmm. for me, and I I remember very distinctly walking into our Monday morning meeting and we were all, the whole team was sitting around and we could all sit in one room at the time. And I told them, I said, we are embarking on a, a, a different path, mm-hmm. which is a path to eliminate any single points of failure in the business. And we're starting with me. Mm-hmm. Um, so at that point started down a path of letting go 
and letting go and letting go and bringing other people in to manage it mm-hmm. and, and control things. So that was a that was a very pivotal moment in the company's business. And so um, our growth trajectory increased mm-hmm. when I did that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, I still did it in in drill kind of drivels yeah. of, of, of I didn't just didn't one day come in and let go of everything. Yeah. It was it's and even to this day coming into 2023, I'm kind of still letting go of some things. Yeah. So that it, it's there's still a few things that it's like, nope, gotta yeah. gotta let go even more of, yeah. of, of some areas. But um, we started growing, started bringing in other people. Um, and so what to me one of the interesting things about growth for us and, and what we've done over the last maybe seven or eight years um, wasn't really growing with a specific growth number target in place, but as we started adding other people in roles, that meant we started having overhead in places we'd never had overhead before. Mm-hmm. So, because we needed people leading a, leading development and doing yeah. right, so the, all these things, administrative functions and sales functions and non-revenue generating functions that I always did, as I put other people in place. There was more cost yeah. associated with the non-revenue generating, which yeah. means to cover that we need more revenue. Yeah. So our growth has kind of kind of been um, targeted towards supporting that we're an organization right. that doesn't have a single point of failure. Right. How big do we need to be for that? Um, so that's changed a little bit now for us, where where we've we've shifted now to where we have uh, the the sales and marketing team, and that is one unit, one leader, and and um, and their goal is to just grow revenue, yeah. right? And the operation side is to how do I support yeah. the revenue that's being generated? So we've got different people in place. So yeah. that's evolved into that. Yeah. Um, but early on, it was not. So we did three acquisitions three. as part of this growth. Okay. Um, one of them was adding additional software development. So our custom development and digital development mm-hmm. side was was adding capacity there. Mm-hmm. And that was a very significant in terms of number of people, but mm-hmm. it was not significant in terms of tech stack. Okay. Um, that moved us into a different sector, though. So we had always done private sector only, mm-hmm. and we acquired a group that did public sector. Okay. So that we almost had a 50-50 split on our development after that acquisition of public-private sector, um, which, which was healthy okay. for us, um, actually. The other one was uh, the second acquisition. Well, actually, the first acquisition got us into the Microsoft Dynamics ERP space. Okay. We had decided we didn't always want to come solve people's problems writing code. We could solve people's operational efficiency problems starting with a platform and building upon that platform. Mm-hmm. And it would feed development work, but, but we could start with the platform. So that was not a huge acquisition in terms of people, but it was a completely new product line right. and side of business. We just, in December of, the, of 2022, added on to that group and did an acquisition of additional people and customers on top of that ERP group. Okay. So um, that that increased the size of that group by almost 30%. Um, hmm. and, and so that was very much a strategic decision around just trying to, in a big chunk, grow revenue and yeah. grow capacity. Yeah. And so... You, you're located um, in the next building on Church Street, right? Church, Church and University, yeah. Church Street. Yep. And um, do you have a, a favorite word you'd like to share with us, Andy? Uh, probably a few of them, but if I had to pick one, yeah. um, I'm going to go with impact. 
Impact. Okay, why, yes. why that word? So, first of all, we have four core values. Impact uh-huh. is one of them. Okay. Um, and I, I always, whenever I describe these to people, I always say, listen, the one thing about impact, we, we, with our core values, each of them, we wanted one word. It's, we want positive impact. Yeah. <laughs> you can have negative impact. That's not yeah. what we're trying to do. Yeah. To me, though, the word impact um, describes how we want to approach sales, sales, but also how we want to approach what COPUS is and, and what, what it's part of its purpose. Um, so we, we always want to have, to, under, to have a positive impact in, in, in delivering a solution to somebody, you have to understand why they're doing it. Mm-hmm. So you have to start with why mm-hmm. in that case. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and if you don't understand that, the odds of hitting the bullseye and, and having a positive impact are not high. Right. There are a lot of our other core values that, that are around leadership and around working with people in a respectful manner and so mm-hmm. forth. But in the end, that's all part of having a positive impact right. on them. So we can have a positive impact on our clients by the solution we can deliver. Yeah. We can have a positive impact on our clients just by our interaction with them and them saying working with those people is just a good experience or yeah. has been beneficial to me. Or they, they may, may not have solved our problem because they, they couldn't, but they, help, they helped us figure out where to go. But on top of that, impact to us represents the, we want to have a positive impact on all of the people in the company. Mm-hmm. We want um, them to, to grow while they're at Copus and mm-hmm. become the best them that they can be. Mm-hmm. Um, and we want to have a positive impact on our community mm-hmm. as well. So that one word, when, when we looked at our core values and kind of our core values came from what, made me, what makes me tick ultimately mm-hmm. since mm-hmm. I started the business and, and, and did so much of the early hiring that if I had to look at all of them, that one, I think, encompasses success mm-hmm. of the other ones being put in motion. Okay. That's a great word. Um, and is there anything you want to promote today? Um, well, so, you know, Copus, in terms of what Copus does mm-hmm. um, and, and who the right clients are for Copus, yeah. I'm, I'm going to put it in two different buckets. Okay. So one is um, organizations who feel like they're growing – but their systems are holding them back. Okay. And so, and what does it mean when your system's holding you back? Um, it could be just obvious. Our system's too slow. Our system's, you know, it, it, it's, it's clunky. It's, it's old. It's, that might be really obvious that your system's holding you back. Other examples that, though, might be that this works great when one person does it who's been here for 20 years, but I can't hire somebody else and put them down and do it. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, your system's holding you back because it doesn't incorporate the institutional knowledge of mm-hmm. how to do things mm-hmm. and, 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 and systematize okay. that institutional knowledge, okay. right? So organizations that are trying to grow <coughs> and their systems are their ceiling, yeah. we can help. Okay. We can help sometimes by writing code. We can help sometimes by changing ERP solutions, sometimes by both, sometimes through visual uh, visualization of, of data. Okay. Uh, so, but, but really so much about what we've built at Copus and so much about what we do is about helping organizations who are growing, who are bumping their heads on, on okay. something. It's that. And that would be the one to reach Copus, copus.com? Um, copususa.com. Copususa.com. Yep. Okay. We tried to get copus.com, but Mr. Copus would not sell it to oh, us. Man. He would. It just wasn't worth the price. It was a lot. Yeah. yeah. Well, Andy, you, you built a, um, a great company so far, right? You got a lot of so one far, way ahead of you still. So far, we're still, we're still working on it. Yeah. Um, but uh, 
proud of you and uh, appreciate you Thanks, sharing Jim. the story and a lot of stuff to pass on to the noob schoolers. So, uh, Thanks for being here today. Ah, it was great. I really okay. enjoyed it. Thank, Thank you. you. All right. Thanks, John.